Hello, everyone, and welcome to From Tip to Tail, a podcast dedicated to animal welfare. This podcast is sponsored by Cuddly. Cuddly is the only crowdfunding platform built specifically for animal welfare organizations worldwide. I'm Bridget. And I'm Sydney. We've spent years working with animal rescues and have seen such amazing innovation, strength, and heart. Having this personal connection with rescuers has made us more informed, grateful, and inspired. We hope by giving you an inside look, you will be too. Today, we're going to be talking with Ryan and Jill of China Dogs Rescue, which is a nonprofit organization whose mission is to rescue and rehabilitate dogs from the meat trade in China and provide them with loving homes in the U.S. and Canada. We're so excited to get talking, so let's go ahead and get started. Hi, Jill. Hi, Ryan. How are you? Very good. Thank you. Doing great. Happy to be here. Oh, we're so glad to have you on. There's so much I'm I'm sure that goes into everything that you do, but we always like to start like back in time a little bit. So maybe Jill, I'll start with you. How did you first get into animal welfare? Sure. So my name is Jill Stewart. Um, I'm the founder and president of China Rescue Dogs, and I am a golden retriever person. So I wanted to adopt a golden retriever. I had seniors. And I saw this golden retriever on a website in China. And I had always been very interested in what was going on in China and the Asian cruelty and the meat trade. And most of us know about Yulin Meat Festival in June. So I ended up reaching out to the rescuer in Shanghai, China, and found this uh, disabled golden. He was unable to walk at the time. He was in the monks and no one wanted him. And I decided, okay, you know what? I'm going to take him. And I went ahead and flew across the country. I live in North Carolina, flew across the country, got him, and he was a blessing, an absolute blessing. When I got home, I decided, I don't think I want to stop there. I set up a GoFundMe page. The rescuer had reached out to me and said, can you continue to help us? Um, We really want to send our animals across abroad, meaning USA or Canada. And I said, Sure. And I went ahead and set up a GoFundMe page and I brought about five or six um, pups in. And I thought, you know what? I just don't want to stop there. It just seems like the need is so significant. And I started to really appreciate the magnitude of cruelty in China, the barbaric meat trade and really what it was. And I said, I'm going to incorporate, I'm going to start a nonprofit. And when I started that nonprofit, I had no idea what I was doing. I'm just being very candid. The logistics of international adoption is very challenging in the cost, but my heart and my passion and my faith just kept leading me. And very instantly did we take on a huge project where this brings Ryan in. The rescuer reached out to us and said, there are 16, 17 golden retrievers. There are several Malamutes and some labs that we really want to take. Um, This shelter is getting ready to shut down and do some barbaric things. And I will leave this off the podcast, what they do to these animals. And I decided, okay, I'm going to take a leap of faith. We just started a nonprofit and we went ahead and committed to all these dogs. And we were so fortunate because when we took in these animals, we met people like Ryan and great supporters from the very beginning. The problem was that the rescuers in the United States and the rescuers in China, there was this almost 
a bisque of how to get these animals from China to here. So I thought, you know what? I really need to go to China. I don't understand what it feels like unless I'm actually boots on the ground and in China. So very soon into the start of the nonprofit, which was 2000, September of 2019 was our first flight. I actually went several weeks later and spent 10 days in China with the rescuers in the shelters, actually got to really appreciate and see what it felt like. And we took in all these dogs. Again, it was an amazing, amazing blessing because we met these people who have supported us from September of 2019 to current date. And at that point, I realized, you know, we really need to find what's called flight volunteers, people in our country who will go and escort these dogs back on certain airlines and bring them into this country. Because although the rescuers in the United States and rescues that we worked with and the rescuers in China, there seemed to be this gap of how to actually get these animals from A to B. And so I decided, okay, we're going to start recruiting flight volunteers. And it was amazing to me how many people wanted to fly for us. We had 11 people that flew back and forth and moved from September 2019 to January of 2020, before the pandemic, over 100 dogs. And everybody came back and they found it almost life-changing that I had several people that flew for us twice. We also got very fortunate in the beginning because these folks were part of companies such as Verizon, United Healthcare, United Way, and their companies began to see, wow, this is a humanitarian act. And so they would give us half of the time that their employee would go to China and come back. And again, we were just so blessed because we ended up developing great relationships with Golden Retriever Rescues, Small Dog Rescues. And we said, you know what, we're going to do something unique, even though it's very challenging. We're not going to limit our animals in one part of the country. So our dogs are spread across on the West Coast, the Midwest, East Coast, and in Canada. And we ended up merging all these relationships with these partnerships and rescues and everything, including myself going back. I went back every single month sometimes twice. My last flight was in December of 2019. My last pups that came in were 2000 in January of 2020 before the pandemic. And we were really had a lofty goal before the pandemic of moving 500 dogs. We had partnerships. My vision was to expand. We were primarily in Shanghai, but my vision was to expand across all of China. And unfortunately, then the pandemic hit which I was flying out February 24th of 2020. I went down to Atlanta and did an NBC interview. And we talked about what that meant for us. And everything came to a screeching stop. Everything. The dogs weren't moving. We had families that were waiting for their animals. There were no flights going across the borders. And what were we going to do? All these dogs were in shelters. All these dogs had commitment. So Our group ended up coming into a position where we said, what are we going to do? How are we going to manage this? How are we going to handle this? And we sought out, Ryan was phenomenal. He 
posted an ad, boosted an ad on our social media and said, hey, does anybody have a private charter plane? And lo and behold, I'm a nurse and I work at night. And Ryan said, get up, get up, get up. I was sleeping during the daytime. He said, we have a conference call with a private charter. And it was triple seven. They became our family. We had a hundred dogs that were going to fly. All of these dogs were stuck from February until May. We worked for months. We raised over $350,000 to do this. They became our family. And 24 hours, the plane was in San Bernardino. It was fueling up, loading everything. The plane was coming into ORD. We had the CDC. We had all the government entities. We had permission from the embassies, the land in Kuming, China. We had permission to come back into this country. Months and months of work, all the money, everything was spent. I got a phone call that Chinese customs told us we can't fly in. We had families that were in vans coming and driving. We had all of our dogs ready. They were actually at the airport. Yeah, we had people in the air flying to Chicago to get their dogs and our and our volunteers. And this all started because of the pandemic. And we said we needed to get them out. How are we going to do this? And we had lost our fundraiser in March because of the pandemic. And Jill basically called me and said, let's figure out a way to do this. Let's charter an airplane. Okay. Um, let's, let's, <laughs> I have never done this before. I got nothing to do. It's a pandemic. Let's figure this out. And we were lucky enough for that, that company reach out and work with us. And then, we, then, then it all kind of um, fell apart at the, at, the, at the last minute. Yeah. So what we had to do, and I'm going to let Jill continue the story here is find a different way because we made commitments to everybody and we were going to fulfill those commitments. So Jill, over to you. My Chinese rescuer has about 50 animals in her house. So whenever I talk to her, which is almost daily, she, I hear her pet. So one of the things that makes it very challenging is that we're dealing with two cultures. We're dealing with a communist country and the culture in the United States rescuers and other adopters and families think that we can just in the United States tell China what to do. That's not at all how that happens and works. I've traveled a good bit there and it's extremely, extremely different. When the Chinese tell you no, it doesn't mean yes. It doesn't mean you have a government entity to appeal to or there's laws or rules or regulations. It just doesn't work that way. So our group had tenacity beyond belief. And there was never, this had not been done. All these dogs, all these rescuers, and to give you a stat, there's over, usually APHIS is where we apply for the U.S. import permit to get into our country through the CDC and Customs and Border Patrol. There's about over 150,000 animals that are exported from China every year into the United States, and those are rescued. That's a very significant amount of animals that were stuck. There are what's called freighters, which are big planes carrying freight between the world, so to speak. And these freighters were not moving rescue dogs ever. They move sometimes breeder dogs and and other type of animals, research animals, but not rescue dogs. And so everybody was so disappointed, kind of retreated back in their corners. And then I went and spent several days with my rescuers, the people that I know and trust and are my family there. And I said, how are we going to get this dog, these dogs out? And my motivator was this one adopter. She had waited since February. 
can't really say her name, but her family, she had MS. And this little black poodle we named Franny was really the, the poodle that was keeping her motivated. She ended up, her husband called me when the flight got canceled. She ended up going back into the hospital just because of the stress and the MS. And I said, you know what? I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to get this one dog out. And no matter what, we're going to find a way. Cargo is extremely, extremely expensive to move live animals across the seas. And so we decided to take a chance, our group with tenacity, and learn how freighters work, which is a very complicated system, not only with our government and also with the Chinese government, with rules and regulations and certain types of licenses. So we had to figure out that entire system, which, which really took all of us months to learn. And when we ended up testing this, we were the first group in this country to move rescue dogs on a freighter. We only brought five in, five little guys on China Air that go from Beijing to Taiwan to Japan to Anchorage and then finally to Chicago. And this particular family, her husband flew because of the pandemic. She was too sick to fly and we were able to get her dog out. Then we ended up having more confidence and learning the system, and we called it phase one, so to speak. From May until really November 26, we moved 105 dogs on freighters, mostly China Air, into JFK, into LAX, and into ORD. We had 77 golden retrievers and about 35 little dogs that we were moving in some other breeds. And I'll kind of let Ryan take it over from here. This brings us into now phase two, so to speak. When we went into phase two, we had completed phase one. Phase one was named Paul's Across the Ocean when we'd lost the plane due to circumstances of frequent control. We had made the promises to everybody, we're going to get you your dogs and, and, and get them here. And we made, it, made the promise over to our rescuers also, and we found a way to do it. And then moving into phase two, we said, great. We figured out how to do this. Let's keep moving dogs out of China from our rescuers and bring them here to the U.S. to loving families. And it, it, it is quite a challenge every, every day to make this happen. I have a full-time job. Jill has a full-time job. Sam, um, who is out at his full-time job right now, couldn't be here. We work seven days a week, 24 hours a day, literally making, making this happen. We're going into phase two. Since December 18th, we've moved over 50 dogs, Jill, I think it is, or, or brought 50 dogs here. Right. So it's December 18th, one, one thing happened to just go a few steps back is when we decided to do phase one, as we were ending our mission, the rescuers were losing hope. We ended up setting a course where other rescuers in the United States and other rescue organizations in China would reach out to our group and say, hey, how did you guys do this? How did you figure out how to move rescue dogs on freighters? And we started working with rescues both in China and in the United States and helping them get their dogs out. Unfortunately, when we thought we were kind of concluding our project, because we really didn't have any funding, it became very clear to the three of us, Sam, Ryan, and I, that phase two needed to happen. The rescuers lost hope. The rescuers were feeling desperate. And again, animals were piling up. 
they were pulling them off the meat trucks, taking them out of the restaurants, taking them out of the slaughterhouses because we were moving so many animals every other week that they could continue to their job of what they do so well is to rescue. And so the three of us decided, okay, we're going to start what's called phase two and continue to move animals. We have moved an aggressive amount of animals, much more so this time. December 18th, we brought in 28 dogs. I just got home from New York. January 4th, we brought in 26 dogs. End of the month, January 28th and 29th, we're bringing in 60 dogs. And on February 5th, we're bringing in another 25 dogs before Chinese New Year. That's a staggering almost a quarter of a million dollars that we have had to raise and we've had to advocate for. We've had to figure out how to do this. It's been very, very rewarding, but extremely challenging with funding. But always our group with faith and hard work, and like Ryan said, around the clock work, we've been making these flights happen. Ryan and I, and I'll let him tell you, (laughs) (laughs) the first trip ourselves, and I'll let him tell you about that. Yeah, we. I, I think we left December seventeenth, and the came the flight came in the December eighteenth. Jill flew to my house here in in Ohio. I rented a cargo van, and we drove to New York City in a cargo van the night after a snowstorm. So there's two of us in this van driving to New York City to get twenty six dogs, and we get to the airport. We bantered back and forth. In, in the van, but you know, people get sick of each other, you know, nine <laughs> hours in a very closed area. And there's only so many things you can talk about. And then we had pulled into the hotel. Jill says, where are we going to park the van? I'm like, I don't know. It says valet parking. Just, it doesn't say vans excluded. We'll just do that. And so we had the van park because there's really no on-street parking because of the, because of the snow. We ended up at the Ark, which is a bonded secure facility that we use in, um, in New York City, and our veterinary partner and her staff were there, along with the volunteers, our veterinary partner at Bay Street Animal Clinic in Staten Island. She comes in and provides care for the animals once they get unloaded, checks them all out. Then we have volunteer dog walkers, and everybody gets fed. And then we put everybody back in their crate again, and Jill and I loaded up the van. Well, I loaded the van. (laughs) And (laughs) Jill was doing her thing. Loaded the van. I tossed the key to Jill. I said, you're driving. And we left New York City at four o'clock in the afternoon. Ended up at, at, at my house at, I think, three o'clock, 3.30 in the morning. And I had all of these adopters at my house <laughs> at three o'clock in the morning. Okay. And I live in a neighborhood. I don't live on a farm. All right. And all my neighbors were like, what circus came to town at three o'clock in the morning? It was it was a very fun experience, and I can just say after Jill drove us out of New York City, she tossed me the keys and said, "You're driving," and we just put the pedal down and 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 went. So I think it's safe to say neither of you have watched a lot of Netflix during quarantine. <laughs> oh no, no, not at all, <laughs> not at all. Oh my gosh, that's it's so much that you've done and. Before even the Mm -hmm. pandemic, the creativity involved and the dedication, like you said, like bridging that like abyss of how do we get these dogs over there in a normal world is hard enough. I mean, you've said so much and I feel like 
so much that we love, especially like connecting other rescues to each other because, and certainly like that emotional fatigue of you've planned this rescue effort and you've done everything you can do. And then circumstance just gets in your way and foils your plans. And the emotional toll that can take on a rescuer, I mean, I can only imagine when, especially when lives hang in the balance and you don't have an end date too of like, well, we can do it, but we're going to have to push it back two months. There was no end date. Yeah. There were, yeah. After I wrote that email after that day, I went off roading in, in the woods and just sat around and thought about it because you had to say, okay, we got to somehow we're going to make this happen. And what that answer is, don't know. Right. I love that. When you were talking about that woman who was so devastated when she wasn't able to see this pet that she had been waiting for, I recently, literally maybe two days ago, I have a best friend who she worked with a rescue who was flying over a dog from China from the meat trade with probably a rescue guys have heard about. And she got delayed. They got delayed for five months. And she was in such a horrible mind state that she couldn't have this dog and it was just a time period. And she finally, the dog arrived yesterday and it was, it just seeing the videos of them too, it, it changed lives. Like the dedication that all that went into getting that dog over there. I know the rescuer. Yeah, I know the flight and the rescuer. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you probably know. I mean, you probably know, but just, just seeing that, what that dedication did for such a close friend of mine, I can only just thank you guys so much because I, I can only imagine what your dedication to getting those animals over to those people are doing for not only that animal, but for those people's lives. It's, it's changing them and making them. Well, what's given us such great me and our group such joy is we were pioneers. So now when I hear all the freighters that are coming into LAX or JFK or Miami or not so much Chicago because there are some issues with the freight, but it just warms my heart. And there is a system now that it felt overwhelming and now we understand the system. And in fact, Sam said, you know, what's the latest in China? And I work every day. So my my job is primarily China. So I get up at 2.30 or 3 every day in the morning and I work for probably three or four hours with my rescuers and the dogs and all the prep because there's so much work that goes into getting our dogs ready and especially on freighters. So when we would send flight volunteers over there, we would actually fly to the various cities. Our animals would be ready to fly and they would be leaving the rescuers and then they would be attached to the actual flight volunteers baggage, although they were in cargo, very, very different on freighters. So these animals have to go from their home bases, wherever they are in mainland China or Shanghai, Beijing, or further north. And then they have to go to various cities where they get customs clearance and eventually make their way back to Beijing. We also have developed one very special relationship through this whole process. So when we were going into China Air, into JFK, which is the hardest port I usually fly into New York, so I'm very I'm comfortable there. But customs are very, very, they're not very friendly there. And so we ended up getting a little bit stuck sometimes. We have an amazing U.S. customs broker. He's fabulous. But the general manager in charge of all of security of China Air, 
she and I became extremely, extremely close friends because I was there a lot in her office saying, what are we going to do? And all these rescuers were there. And China Air moves freight. They move boxes or they move, you know, lobster. They don't move rescue dogs. And rescue, as you were saying with your friends, the people that get these dogs, they have such emotion and passion. They drive for hours and wait for these animals. So she ended up coming to me and she said, you know what? I'm so invested in this. I want to get a dog from you. And they actually adopted a dog several flights back from us. And she calls it her grand dog. And what's been wonderful is that when freighters get stuck in this particular airline, other rescuers will call us and ask us to, and I will merge these calls into Sharon. And I will say, where's the freighter? What's going on? We've had some problems with the freighters and dogs getting stuck. I also will work on the China side and the person in charge of working in customs and working the dogs on the freighters. His name, I can't mention, but he's over all of Beijing. And I'll send him a message and I'll communicate with him. And I'll say, where are we at in Beijing? Where are the dogs? One of the greatest stories I think that I personally felt through this passion is that when we see these dogs come into this country and we watch these families, just like you're describing, and somehow these dogs, and I always say this every time they fly, I just feel like angel wings surround these planes. Yes, they're freighters. Yes, they're in cargo. It's an unpleasant way to travel. But somehow I feel like there's this special, beautiful rainbow of angels that just surround the planes when our babies are flying to this country. And when they get here, there's just this magical relationship as if this dog and as if this person have always been together. We don't understand it. It's just pure magic. The dog and the family just instantly go to each other. And it's, it makes all this work, all the hours, all the ups and the downs and the turbulence and the tenacity worth every bit of it. Every time we see that family reach out to that animal and that animal who is out of China. So amazing. Just the sheer numbers is, is really astounding. <laughs> and you're not slowing down at all. I know you, I know you have <laughs> 60 dogs coming right now. Right. And we now have golden rescues and other rescues coming to me saying, okay, we want more dogs. And we have right now dogs almost lined up through the end of February. Now, Chinese New Year, I will say this publicly. So one of the pushes that we've all in this country and what I love is there's this, this amazing collaboration very much so with Golden Rescues and starting to see a little bit more with the lab rescues and small dog rescues, but very much with the Golden Rescues, that in China during Chinese New Year's, it is barbaric. And I said this on my Facebook video. We know what Yulin is. We understand Yulin. Most people know what that means. But Yulin in China is every single day. And in Chinese New Year's, they prefer to eat and torture the golden retrievers, the yellow dogs, and the black dogs, especially the big dogs. And so we have put out a cry and a plea, and that's why we're moving at this incredibly accelerated rate. And you're going to start to see a lot of aircraft starting to come into LAX. I know the pallets that are actually coming in into JFK. These rescuers are doing the same thing we're doing. We're pulling out as many animals before Chinese New Year's as we can possibly pull out. 
for this particular brutality that will occur. So we're all working very, very hard to do the same thing, both on the China side and the United States side. We all work as a group. So in other words, if one, like if I know what dogs actually came in yesterday, because we all are kind of working on the same page, which is also a miracle in China. And we are all working together for the greater good of the animals here. I talked to someone in LA yesterday and she said, all the dogs are coming and we need a spreadsheet. So if somebody has a dog that wants to come into New York, since you're on the East Coast, maybe we can start coordinating and I can put my dogs on the East Coast freighters and you could put some of your dogs on the West Coast freighters. So those wonderful relationships that are going back and forth between our country and in China. It's incredible. Well, I I actually did have a question because I know you're saying that, you know, you tend to see a lot of golden retrievers or the labs or things like that in the meat trade itself or where you're rescuing these dogs. Do you see a pattern of, of certain kinds of dogs? That makes me wonder, like, do you see a certain, you know, more so of a certain breed or, and, and why, I guess, if there is? I do. Sadly, the golden retrievers, unfortunately, are bred very much over there. The the Labradors, they call them Labradors, not Labs, but the Labradors are for big dogs are bred. Malamutes and Huskies are very prevalent and, and German Shepherds. I see those all the time on the meat trucks and then the slaughterhouses. I mean, there's just hundreds of them. And then on the little dog side, in China, unlike South Korea and other places, there are meat farms that they actually breed dogs for meat. Although they're still dogs, they look different. They have a different look to them. There are purebred dogs in China. There are what we call Chinese rule dogs as well. And and what we consider as much in the United States, we call them Chinese rule dogs in China. But there are so many people ask me, why are there so many purebred dogs? And there's just an abundance amount of breeders. And when the breeders are done, which they're usually done around this time, they load them up on the meat trucks and sell them to the slaughterhouses. And they're poodles, pugs, French bulldogs, corgis, beagles, uh, schnauzers. I, I mean, unfortunately, we can we see just about every breed. There are some breeds that I don't see a lot of, but it is very, very sad, very sad. And there are certain parts of China that, there are banned breeds and they're just banned breeds because they're over 48 inches. They're too big. They can never grow outside. Otherwise they'll be killed. There are certain breeds that I have families right now. My rescuers will tell me when they're done with the dog, they'll put them in the North side of the country in various areas and they'll just sell them for meat. We just worked. I was really, I was thinking about this today. There's a fairly aggressive group on a social app which is how I communicate in China called WeChat. It's W-E capital C-H-A-T. And there was a a very aggressive group that worked very hard at shutting one of these wet market meat restaurants down. And dogs were being slaughtered brutally every single day. The conditions were just horrific. And again, this is how our virus came to be. So there was a group, about 50 of us, all around the world, not just in the United States or China, but there was all kinds of countries that put a lot of pressure on this particular district in China and the restaurant actually closed down. So that to me was such a amazing group effort internationally to make some changes 
so we don't get to where we all are sitting here today. We all don't want to be here again. And what is continuing on in China is now face of social media, not just in our country or China, but again, there were multiple countries participating in this aggressive effort to shut this restaurant down because they were violating every single thing that China says they don't violate. And that was just shut down two days ago. Yeah, that's all the work you're doing, I feel like is so, and of course we appreciate rescues who rescue any, any number of animals, but I feel like the sheer volume and of course, like you have to know the impact is probably even beyond like your transport efforts. Like for every home that one of these dogs go to, that's a little bit of education that that family is getting, that that family is sharing. That's so amazing. And it just speaks to how things will change for the better in the future. The hope is at least. And I do love that you're like mentioning a lot of like international help and things like that. Cause I, I think that they're there tends to be almost like this like myth of like different cultures and, and you know aggression towards dogs and whatnot. But I I love that you're saying that there there are people outside of the United States you know that may come from countries that have things like the Yulon Festival and things like that. But they they do genuinely care about animals and they will work collectively with other groups to help those animals and to fight for their rights. So I do love that you're you're sort of debunking that myth because I I think it's really easy to to see something you know, like that festival happening in China and almost look at China as a whole as, as, you know, a country that does not care about animals when that's just not true. There are people there that, that do want to help uh, and things like that. So I, I really, really appreciate that. For me, in fact, my birthday was yesterday and I talked to, and we could not mention her name, but I talked to her yesterday and she has become my family. I mean, I talk to her every single day and I have not met her because I started working with her after the pandemic. So I I'm, can't wait to visit her. And we have become almost best friends across the world, working for the better of everybody. And again, one of the things that we have been able to do is, just like you said, there are many, many people out there in China love animals and are doing things that are really progressive. I would have to say that the older cultures and some of the rural parts of China are still quite horrific. The younger population are really very much progressive and doing things. Again, this group of people across the world, international, decided to focus and showcase um, very, very abusive people who are doing things horrific to animals. And so that's also circulating on the social media app to show that there's no reason to be this brutal towards these animals. They have not, these injustices no longer can be tolerated and that the police need to take notice of these things. So I do think that there's a huge impact right now with social media and a collective group around our world. Again, this group is not just associated with China. It's associated with all kinds of countries and a lot of rescuers in our country that are involved. And one of the things that would happen in China that's actually diminished a good bit is that the Chinese rescuers, because it was so competitive to get their animals out, they would fight tooth and nail and be, you know, kind of almost against each other and not work to, towards each other. So when we started this mission, Paws Across the Ocean, 
there were 12 or 13 rescues involved and we all came together for the greater good of the animal. And so we've sent that message actually to China. And so I work with four Chinese rescuers specifically across all of mainland China. Some of them don't necessarily agree with the way that this one agrees, but we all now collectively work together. We actually have an entire system in China where one rescuer collects all the data, puts it on a spreadsheet, sends it to our rescue partner here who inputs the information into the United States system to get the dogs cleared from customs. So we've been able to bridge that as well. We've been able to say, hey, guys, we're here to help you, but you also have to help yourself. We're all here on this for the same reason. My goodness, that is like better communication than I think some some groups have that like share an office. Like that's that's so astounding. Well, one of the things that we've set a precedent for, and it, it doesn't mean that we don't privately, Ryan, Sam, and I have chuckles behind the scenes, but we set a precedent that there is really no room or time for anything but saving animals. So when you set that stage and you say, this is what our mission is, is to really rescue the animals and save the animals. So the rest of the stuff, per se, we're just not going to be around that. It doesn't mean, like I said, that Ryan, Sam, and I don't blow off steam and have chuckles, you know, because it is it is challenging with all the personality. But we also set that stage that that's really just not a tolerance that we're going to do. Our mission is to get these animals here and raise money and to continue to draw awareness to the horrific things that do happen in China. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's something that we've seen a lot of just here in the United States is like that personality or that like animosity between different rescues. So I love that you're able to pull this together across oceans and cultures and so many things to do such amazing, prolific work. It's it's incredible. At this point, I mean, obviously, I'm sure you still need donations. Is there anything else that you're looking for, like more relationships with rescues or or anything else? Like if you had a wish list right now. <laughs> oh boy. So my wish list would would really be somehow, you know, we we cannot take out enough dogs. There's just no possible way. And parts of China are very, very hard. What most people think of is there are parts of China that are near North Korea that are brutal right now in temperature. A lot of these shelters do not have heat or doors. The dogs are in snow. It's like being up in Minnesota or those parts of our country. And we are sending right now money over for dog food. There are animals that will not be able to be fed. So I've been trying to find a way to work with a big company such as Chewy or Amazon or Petco that would be able to work with, I have a place in Guangzhou that could actually not necessarily send the dog food over there, but we could send funds and they could disperse dog food to various rescues. It's just, I'm struggling right now on my wish list. One would be obviously funding. We desperately need funding. And then also being able to provide the food to the animals that we cannot take out. And I'll let Ryan finish the wish list. Sure. I, th- I think, Jill, I think it's distribution you're talking about on the food over there because it's very cost prohibitive to ship food from the U.S. over to China. 
just getting the distribution there, getting something locally sourced, so to speak. And the other wish list is is that I'd like to get them out as fast as I I do want to get them out as fast as we can. Sam wants to get them out as fast as we can. I know you mentioned donations, and we can't do it without donations. And the funny part about the whole thing is is that we take no salary. I pay out of my own pocket. Jill pays out her own pocket. Sam pays out of his own pocket. And we got a lot of people who say, we love what you're doing. Your our dog has changed. You know, the dog has changed our lives. A lot of Facebook following, et cetera. I know everybody's in a pandemic right now. Times are tough. A dollar helps. Give up that one piece of, or that one cup of coffee and donate that there. Likes and hugs and the stories are great and love hearing them. My phone blows up. I get a whole bunch of emails. I talk to the rescuers, but it really boils down to dollars and cents. Definitely. I mean, I know just from our perspective too, I mean, we've seen like, it's like very sweet. Like a lot of people who donate on our site, like maybe they're on a fixed income or maybe they're doing a lot of things and they're like, I can only give $5, but boy, like we watch that $5 and it adds up because everyone's pulling together. And in the end, like lives are changed. It doesn't have to be something that's going to like sabotage your budget. Exactly. I had one, we had one Facebook post that took, um, we had 36,000 likes in like maybe 10 negative comments. It's each person gave a dollar. It would be mean the world. We have a Facebook or social media thing. A hundred people see it. Each person gives a dollar. That makes a world of a difference. I don't think people really realize how much of a difference it does make, like you said. And I mean, I know just from personal experience too, like a dollar means like one thing to like a normal person. But if you give it to a rescuer, they do amazing things with with that same amount of money. <laughs> exactly. Now, if you want to give more than a dollar, that's fine. Okay. You know, but you could keep going up. A dollar is an example, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and I hope you do. I mean, this, it sounds like you've already got like, you're going a hundred miles an hour at this point and it's a pandemic. I can only imagine when, when the world kind of flips around what, what you'll be able to do. And, and I do hope that you can get like a big organization to help you. It just is so incredible what you've been able to do up till now. So excited to see the next round of dogs that you bring in and the lives they change. I We've all heard about the festival and different things there, but I feel like you hear about it and it feels a bit distant and it feels like you have a couple of facts, but you're not sure how many of them are true or what, or what actually is going into it. So to actually be able to hear an actual voice speaking to it and getting into a bit of the details. Of course, I know most of the details are probably a little bit too hard to actually get into right now. I know, Ryan, you are surrounded by dogs right now. Are they all your personal pets? So like six dogs? <laughs> <laughs> they are, actually. They are. I have six Goldens that are, that are surrounded and uh, I'm surrounded with now. They're all rescues. Only one is from China. And he was one of the first 12 that Joe, at the beginning of the show, Joe had talked about. His name was number one. It was a very, they numbered him when they did bring him out of that shelter. And his number happened to be number one. He was rescued about 48 pounds, probably within 24 hours of death. And I waited 
three, four months to get him. Got him September 14th, September 15th. And he, I got him at about 68 pounds. He is now 125 pounds. He's a moose. Jill goes, that is the biggest golden retriever. He's not fat. He's just a big boy. The 125 pounds and is, I call him my 125 pound shadow. He goes everywhere. And if he doesn't get to go with you, there is hell to pay. He's very, very stubborn. When Jill was here, we had a, I had a forklift him in the house because we were leaving to go to New York. I'm like, buddy, you can't go. Oh, oh my gosh. And then Jill, do you have, are you surrounded by personal pets as well? Or I am surrounded by um, a conglomeration of Chinese dogs. So I have my golden retriever who's disabled. He um, ended up being my mascot and why I started. And then my daughter usually travels with me. So we were in the shelter, I think, in November of 2018, 19. She's, we're looking and there's 300 dogs. I mean, and I'm not, you know, I'm back in the cages and we're looking at the doggies. And all of a sudden I look at her and I'm just like, what does she have around her neck? Well, she's got this black, I don't even know what it is. We've called it a snippet. It's like a cross between everything. And I said, what are you doing? She's like, I put it on the list, mommy. I said, oh no, Lena, it's not on the list. Well, then we have her. So she's like a 20 pound mix of something. She's black. And then I just fell in love with this dog. Um, She came in on the freighter. So she is a Maltese, actually, only two. She was on the meat truck and they hit her over the head. And so her eye was actually hanging out and she ended up losing her eye and then is blind in the other eye. So I, she is sitting right by me right now as I'm doing the interview. So I have three from China. Gosh, that's so sweet. Well, I mean, so we, we like to do a couple little fun questions, but given everything you've said, internationally or nationally, I'm wondering if you have like a res- rescue crush that you like really love. And obviously you won't have favorites, but. I would say, I would honestly have to say Tiny Paws. They have been phenomenal because God love them. They, I give them lists of dogs and they have like chihuahuas missing an ear and a toe and a tooth and this and that. And they, the Madison and all the doggies that we give them, they are just amazing. They have taken in 60 dogs. They have hardly any staff and any money. They drive to Ohio in the middle of the night. We have a little bit of a joke because the golden retrievers in the labs come out and they have just this beautiful personality. And some of the little dogs are a little bit more snippy. And so they look at these dogs and they say, that's okay. They were just a little bit agitated. They take the dogs to me that are the hardest ones for us to get out of China and are also really, truly the hardest ones for them to raise money. Because sometimes they'll call, I have to chuckle because sometimes they'll say, what is it? I'm like, good question. I have no idea. (laughs) And so they've really risen to a level of where Ryan, Sam, and I could not be moving this amount of dogs on the mixed breed. And we even, to give you an example, we had a Malamute with their small dog rescue, small dog rescue. We had a Malamute family that backed out on us. They took the Malamute, found him a home. I have two yellow lab mixes, medium-sized doggies, another 
family backed out on us. This is just part of rescue work. I sent them right now, like about an hour ago, and they're networking those two doggies right away. And so I would have to say that that's my rescue crush. I love that. We also have like, and I know this one's a bit harder. If you had to pick one life motto, what would it be? Do the right thing. If you always do the right thing, it'll always pay you back. Do the right thing. You're honest. People will see that. And then it pay, it pays you back again. I actually, my motto for all this has been faith. Like I believe, you know, when you're called to do something, all these amazing, you know, I started with nothing. I started not even knowing how to fill an import permit. And now I'm so blessed to have all these people around us. And I just told Ryan the same thing. I'm like, somehow I, we squeak into Wells Fargo. I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, it is like pennies to pennies. It's really scary sometimes when we will have to wire the money, but somehow we always make it happen. You know, I feel nervous or I feel anxious, but I, my faith just keeps me doing these missions every single time. Oh, and the world is better because of it for sure. Oh my gosh. Well, Ryan, Jill, thank you so much for chatting with us. I hope, I mean, it feels like you have so much knowledge here. So I hope too many rescues don't reach out to you and say, hey, <laughs> or, or maybe we do hope. <laughs> we do hope and we're on Facebook. And if you reach out on Facebook, we respond back. And I've, I put out on Facebook too, my personal email address at, at the China Rescue Dogs. It's Ryan at ChinaRescueDogs.org. And if there's any questions that people have, you have my email address and I will respond back. I'm sure you'll have tons. <laughs> sure. That'd be great. Well, thank you so much. Simply the quantity of dogs that are being transported is outstanding. Nonetheless, in a pandemic and from a foreign country, it's really amazing what Jill and Ryan are doing with China Rescue Dogs. So if you want to learn a little bit more about what they're doing, you can check our show notes or our blog. And remember to rate, like, and subscribe to this podcast. And be sure to follow Cuddly on all social media accounts at We Love Cuddly. That's C-U-D-D-L-Y.